Hello, I'm Matt Harrison, and you are listening to the Giri Cast on Sports Direct Radio, the Malaga fan podcast for all the Giris out there. It's our first podcast of 2021, so I'd like to say Happy New Year to all of our listeners and friends of the pod, and let's hope 2021 is kinder than 2020 was. For Malaga, it was a slow and steady start as they picked up a point away to Albacete, but the pace is picking up this week as we play two games against Real Oviedo, one in the Cup and one in the League. To discuss those games, we're delighted to be joined by the one and only Sid Lowe of The Guardian and ESPN and the Spanish Football Podcast, and also the author of Fear and Loathing in La Liga. But more importantly, he is a mad Real Oviedo fan, and maybe as big a Michu fan as myself. So we look forward to that. Other people I am fans of are my fellow Giri casters. So I'd like to say hello and Happy New Year to you, Chris. Hi, Happy New Year, Matt. Happy New Year, everybody. And a Happy New Year to you as well, Alex. Happy New Year to you too. And also joining us again is Ben. How are you doing, Ben? And Happy New Year. Good, thank you. Happy New Year, everyone. Yes, and, and you know, after your debut, I'm glad we didn't we didn't scare you off. Your you've got you've got a second a second game. <laughs> Um, before we look back on that Albacete game and look ahead to these Real Oviedo games, we'll start, as always, with the news. There's not too much happening you know, over the last couple of weeks, but we, we talked about this last week. Malaga have officially signed Alexander Gonzalez from Dinamo Bucharest. Uh, he's, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, any of you, but he is signed till the end of the season, possibly... There's clauses that can trigger it for another year, but um, Ben, since it's your second second game, I'll, I'll, I'll pass the ball to you first. Um, what I'll, I'll, is this a good signing for Malaga? Uh, I think it's a good signing. Um, he's played in the Segunda before uh, for various different teams. Uh, he's got a lot of experience. He's 28, Venezuelan international. Um, hopefully, bring something new. I've heard he's very versatile as well, so he can play not just in his one position. Um, so hopefully he's a good signing for us. Yeah, and and Chris, we were just having a little bit of a chat before we started recording, and you asked the question: Is it a logical signing? What? What? Why did you ask that question? Uh, because we also have Ismael Casas, and I think we have a few other players who can play in that position. So, but I think um, as Ben just said, I, and I don't know if you know Alex, but I, I believe the the good thing with Alexander Gonzalez is he seems to be able to play. Pretty much anywhere it feels like to me from what I've read about him. Um, I don't know what your thoughts on this signing are, Alex. Yeah, I think I think it's a good signing. Definitely, I think obviously we talked about it on the WhatsApp before the game. We're a bit worried about Pedro Sampedo and how he's going to perform, and maybe that's something that we can look for to someone playing. I know he's a right back, so maybe he'll be playing more on the right hand side. But I'm sure he can fill in uh, in those in those roles, and I think it's good to have that depth in the squad, especially with. As the season goes on, we're bound to get more injuries, like maybe not as serious as uh, Calero's, but definitely it's good to have some cover. Yeah, because I would say he's almost, he seems like in regards of the versatility, which Ben mentioned earlier, like like for like with Calero, because I think Calero, you know, has mainly played left back and right back, but, you know, has played wing back positions and has been further up the pitch a couple of times. So I think Alex Gonzalez is very similar to that. Um and then, you know, the only other really 
bit of news coming out of Malaga this week. Um, came on New Year's Day, I suppose, where uh, one of our players, to quote Sergio Pellicer, was the irresponsible son of the family. Chris, do you, do you want to tell us who is the who was the irresponsible son of the family this week? Yes, Mejillas was. And what was he doing? Yeah, he went out with a beautiful girl. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's his girlfriend. I think it was mates of his. I think, no. I think it was his friends. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he went out in, uh, in Marbella. Did it, did. Didn't you see him, Matt? I did not. I, I I think where I was drinking on New Year's Eve night was probably a lot cheaper than where he was. I know where he was, actually. is in Olivia Valet, which is one of the sort of swankier, I don't know, yeah. nightclub bar. It's sort of a bit of both, so I can imagine. What I, would I, you have said to him, Matt, if you saw him? Um, can I take a picture with you? Yeah, can I? <laughs> I don't know what. Because I, I would probably have been drunk enough not to appreciate how irresponsible he was being. So yeah. I would be like, hey, ho, you know, do you want a beer? And then wake up in the morning going, oh, shouldn't have done that. But um, No, but it's really irresponsible of him. Yes, definitely. Um, Alex, what about you? What are your thoughts on Mejia? Yeah, obviously, uh, I mean, when you're a football player, you've got to understand that you're in the light, right? Things that you do are going to get critiqued by the media and going out to a nightclub in any circumstance as a football player yeah it's okay to have some fun but I think especially with Covid it's not good to because he's, he's obviously going to be set an example for a lot of young kids because you know a lot of young kids will be looking up to him wanting to become footballers when they're older so setting that example of breaking the, the Covid rules is not something that you know players should be doing and yeah I agree it's very irresponsible and um, I think I'm right in saying Ben he was Initially isolated from the squad, didn't go to Albacete with the team, but I think it was yesterday he released an apology. Yeah, he basically said that he's really sorry and he knows it's unacceptable. Uh, he had a he missed he got left aside for the Albacete game and missed a, a training session, then had a negative test, so was allowed back. Um, but yeah, like you said, just really irresponsible, especially when we came back from Christmas and had zero positive results of COVID, so then go and do that. Um, yeah, disappointing. Yeah, it is. And yes, but it's, we've had the apology now. He's been welcomed back into the squad and, you know, hopefully Pellis's strong words to him and his stance with him will mean this doesn't happen again with any other of the players in the squad. But he's still a young guy, right? That's ex- exactly what I want to say. <laughs> if if you are, if you and I go to the pub, nobody would question or ask anything. No. My boss wouldn't wouldn't mind. Uh, your boss probably wouldn't mind because he probably would go with you to the pub. <laughs> um, but I can understand that from Malaga Club de Football, it's it's a different it's it's a different situation because um, the contact is like there is real contact with all the players and the staff and and everything. So and it's a lot of money. Um, so he endangered the whole team and the whole club. Yeah. But still, he's a young lad, so. Yeah, it's what, it's what you say though. It's one of the things you take with being a professional footballer. They don't get the same life we get. We don't get the same life they get. So yeah. that's um, it. That's what I was about to say. With being a professional footballer, there are you get certain privileges, but then there's you know, to quote Spider Man, "With great power comes great responsibility." <laughs> um, yeah. I think that's from Spider Man. I, I hope I've got that before someone says that's not from Spider Man, and it's some more. 
famous philosopher or something now and then. Gonna yeah, really... <laughs> but um, we'll try and, you know, I didn't want to end on the negative of that story. So uh, just before we move on to talk about the Albacete game, I was going to ask each of you, um, first of all, do you have any New Year's resolutions? And do you have any sort of New Year's wishes for Malaga? So I'll start with you, Alex. Um, what would be your New Year's wish for this season? Oh yeah. Um, if I can be wishful in my in my wish, I hope we can make making a, a late run for the playoff spots. That would be my New Year's wish. Okay, and what about you, Chris? Um, I hope COVID goes away very quick, and we all can can hug and meet each other and uh, and uh, hug our uh, grandpas and grandmas. And and hopefully, well, the the first thing that came into my head was a similar thing, Chris. But hopefully, we can all hug each other and celebrate goals at La Rosaleda, and we can get yes. fans back in the stadium, and that would be lovely. Um, what about you, Ben? Uh, any wishes for Malaga in twenty twenty one? Yeah, I mean, I hope Malaga maybe make that last sort of stride towards the playoffs. Um, maybe I want players to maybe take more shots. Okay. Like, I think I like they're missing that. in the Albacete game, but uh, yeah, for myself, I want to learn Spanish, but it's not going too well at the moment. Yeah, actually, that that is my New Year's resolution. I need to get speaking in more. I can read it yeah. okay now, but I need to. Yeah, um, Chris, you, you can be our teacher. Yeah, <laughs> we can. You know, um, because I asked the the. That's a funny thing. I would keep it quick. Um, I, maybe we can go through these three three things. I ask our uh, listeners what they wanted to talk. Uh, we want what they wanted that we should talk about. Um, so uh, Inma said, Altani um, is and will continue to be the legitimate Malaga CF owner. There will be no capital increase due to legal impossibility. There could be an approval, difficult to execute, even more without being firmly resolved the ownership of NAS. Do you want to guys want to say anything about it? Uh, I I would need well I I just want the whole ownership thing sorted personally for me that means yeah. no more Altani in the picture at all. I just think it's not gone well as it so I just want that done with. Um, and you know for this podcast which I noticed over the last few weeks and months we have spoke a lot less about Altani and things going on behind the scenes. So there was a part of me thinking, well, hopefully that's a sign things are steadying. So, yes, that's my. I point. would like to know the truth about it. Of course, yeah, I would from, from both sides. Hmm. But I, I always, my grandmother always said, the truth lies in the middle. Yeah, that's, I don't know. It's a very wise grandma you have there. I don't know. So, um, and I have another one, another question. I want to know where most. Members of the Kiri army and Kiri supporters in general are from. I hear a lot of Geordie accent in the stadium. Keep on with the great podcast. Um, that's a good question. I don't. If I was to answer that, uh, the gen. I don't know. I would say that there is more of a northern feel in there because I. Um, I know. Like I'm not just saying because I know the famous Spider is from Burnley, but I hear quite a lot of Lancashire and Yorkshire accents and Geordies. Um, but then I know plenty that are from, yeah, I don't know. So it's a nice mix, I suppose. And like, um, I think we've said on here before, um, our friend Chris uh, Pete Webb 
Cardiff City yeah. fan and I'm a Swansea City fan, but we can get on well enough in La Rosaleda <laughs> and have a bit here together. So that I suppose and that's Chester the magic. City fans. Yeah, I know there there are Malagisas from everywhere. Mm. Um, it's a good the question. question. Is about the Brits, of course. Uh, but I can give the but I can do, of course, is give the locations where, uh, yeah, we where people listen from to our podcast. Uh, United Kingdom, Spain, United States, Ireland, Sweden, Netherlands, Norway, Germany, Japan, Finland, Estonia, France, Slovakia, United Arab Emirates. Yeah. You never know who that can, can be. Uh, Gibraltar, Denmark, Iceland, Mexico, Colombia, Brazil, Italy, Greece, Lithuania, Peru, Australia, Bulgaria. Dang. And then there's 308 cities, but that's for another day. Yeah. But there so, you go. That's yeah, a good question. In regards of the British and Irish contingent, I, I think they're spread from all over. Um, just like that you know, there's going to be people from all over Britain who holiday in the Costa del Sol or who have moved here. So, yeah, yeah. But we also uh, sometimes forget a bit about the Scandinavian countries mm. because yeah, I think it's it's equal. I think that's the most uh, supporters Malaga has come from uh, Scandinavia and from Scandinavian countries and um, and and Britain or the United Kingdom or yes. So, okay, and you said you had one more thing, really quickly. Yeah, but that's for the uh, match. Uh, for, oh, okay, I will keep that for the review on opposite the game. And that seems a lovely little link there, then, Chris. Because after this little break, we will talk about Malaga's draw with Albacete. <laughs> Okay, so now we're going to talk about our one-all draw against Albacete, or I'm going to use their nickname here because it's one of my favourites in Spanish football, the Queso Macanico, the the clockwork cheese, which I did know. I think it's because they make lots of cheese there, but I'm happy to be corrected there. I don't know if any of you guys know, but I think it is just to do with there's lots of cheese, but... um, Someone can find that out for us and, you know, they can tweet us and let us know. Um, Yeah, there's um, before the game, Albacete were bottom of the league. And obviously, Malaga have got a pretty good away record this season. So we were maybe expected to get a three points, but, you know, it was a point on the road. So as always, we'll go back to the start, starting 11. Chris, when you saw the starting 11, was you happy? Not precisely happy but I, I, I understood it because uh, well Chavaria couldn't play Janis uh, Ramani at the end um, couldn't play so I understood it yeah Mejijas couldn't play ok and um, what about you Alex what were your thoughts on this starting 11 I mean I was obviously yeah you understand that you know Chavaria is not able to play I think something that I've critiqued a bit in the past is the Escasi Lombard at the back at the same time and I did say this at one point during the game they reminded me of as if someone's dropped off at the local old people's home to pick up you know the two most mobile people and you know they put them at centre back and it kind of did look like that at certain points during the game and yeah, yeah obviously 
Jairo scored. So, you know, he silenced a few doubters there. And I thought Joaquin Munoz played really well. But then in terms of the, the lineup, I, I think I mentioned it. The Christian, I thought, I'm, I'm not sure if he's playing in that attacking midfield role. And, yeah, it, there's a few things that ideally we'd want to change. But given the situation, I think it, was not, it, wasn't, it wasn't a bad decision. Okay, and then what about you, Ben? Uh, yeah, obviously looking at the team, it's not our strongest lineup, but uh, I think with players missing, uh, that's what we went with. And I, I agree with Alex. I'm not sure if Christian and Kyle Quintana are up front together. It's, it's almost like two attacking midfielders for me. It's like two number tens, not actually an out and out striker there. Um, but yeah, the back as well. I agree with Lomban and Scassi. I'm not sure they go together too well at the back. Yeah, I agree. One of the things I think I've said on previous podcasts was I do quite like uh, Kaya Quintana, but he is more the sort of the scrappy one behind the striker almost. And um, I think leading the line, he can go a little bit missing. Actually, my I thought I was quite happy with the lineup in general before the game. Um, I think I've said on here before about I'm not Jairo's biggest fan, but I thought he did all right in this game. So, and obviously... Sure, we'll talk about his goal in a second. Um, Chris, what, what, what are your thoughts on Christian as this sort of second striker attacking midfielder? Because we were singing his praises in the first weeks of the season, but um, how, how do you feel he's getting on now? Because he seems to have moved up the pitch a bit. Well, yes, I, I don't like to see him as a striker, but uh, but he, he isn't a striker, so we can blame him for that. Um, I was happy he was starting instead of Orlando Sa, um, because I think he's way better and much more informed than Orlando Sa is. So, yeah. I hope Chavo Diaz back soon. I think he's ready, right, Ben? Uh, he's going to might be over for tomorrow, but uh, Wednesday, sorry. Um, but if not, he'll definitely be ready for Saturday. That's what Pellicera said. Yeah, that's what I read too. They said... They don't need to risk him tomorrow, but he could yeah. be ready. Um, but I think um, one of the things that jumped out for me during this game is just how good Chavaria is. I know we we knew that, but maybe just how important he is to yeah. how we play. This game was looking for someone like Chavaria. That's the thing as well. That's why it really stood out, I think. Because, I mean, Jackie Munoz has got in so many situations. just needs to pull that trigger, and he didn't. Yeah. Um, I'm getting, I'm getting least. Um, I'm by the week. I'm, I'm losing a bit faith in uh, Kaya Quintana. Okay. I'm sorry. He's a striker, but every time he has the ball, he can be very dangerous. But when it comes down to a shot, I don't know. It's, it's weak. Yeah, like, he I, never I, makes the right choice. Yeah, I, I agree. His shot sometimes isn't. Isn't that strong? I do agree. I, I think I prefer him. I preferred him in the game over Christian. Christian, I said, I said, I think, I think it was very frustrating. I mean, every single time he got in the ball, he was just looking for that long pass across the field. I mean, I think two times out of five it came off. Um, I maybe want him a bit further up the field if he's playing in that striker role. Yeah, and and actually one other name that's becoming more familiar in the start in 11 now is Danny Barrio, who I think this was his fourth game in a row now with the shirt, having, obviously, we've had a lot of rotating of the goalies during the season. Um, Alex, uh, you know, are you happy with this stable goalie and how did you feel Danny Barrio did in this game? I thought when he was called to action, I thought he did fantastically. I mean, he made a few good saves towards the end. 
and I obviously he didn't have too much to do. Albacete didn't create too many clear cut chances that he had to make any saves for. But I think when he when he had to, he he pulled through. And I think you know I'm happy with that consistency because I think allowing keepers to get that run of games means that they're not getting out of match sharpness and they're they're keeping that that sort of you know that awareness there. And I think it's a good idea to give one keeper a run of games. And Chris, would you agree with that? Are we team Danny Barrio now rather than team Juan Soriano? Yes, definitely. And I, I even think that maybe we should give Soriano back to Sevilla <laughs> and or or because he's a good keeper and he's not a keeper for a bench. Mm-hmm. And he deserves minutes. Um but Danny Barrio is better, so I would say we have a good uh, third keeper. Uh, what's his name, Gonzalo? Yeah. Yeah, we have Gonzalo, Kellyam, who is in Ibiza, get him back. Um, and then you have another player who you can sign for another position. Yeah. Well, we really don't need Soriano as a second keeper. Well, like That's I said, what Pellis uh, said sometimes, you can maybe put one of the goalkeepers outfield, yes. hasn't he? <laughs> That's what I want to see. That's what I was just about to mention. <laughs> yeah. that, and I, his, his shirt is ready. I want, said as well. I want Soriano up top. Yeah, instead of uh, Christian. <laughs> yeah, in that guy. I, I, I think we'd make we'd make national, maybe even international news if our goalie played up front and scored. So I want it. I want it to happen. Um, just Ben quickly then the first half and and you know what was your thoughts on Malaga overall in that first half? Yeah, I, I felt like we dominated that first 20 minutes um, and then it sort of eased off a bit. I mean, I think, like I said, maybe we need to be more... I mean, Kyle Quintana had a couple of chances. I think there was a time we he fouled a defender in front of him on that header. Um, and I think there was a weak shot as well. Um, I think I think what we're really missing is that killer edge in the, fu- in the final third the other night. Um, and that's something that might come back with uh, Chabaria. Yeah, hopefully so. Um, and then I, I think you summed it up quite nicely the first half there. Malaga generally dominated without too many chances or too many shots on goal. And then Danny Barrio made those two good saves. And then we come out for the second half and within five minutes, we are 1-0 up. Alex, talk to me about Malaga's opening goal. I thought I was... I was... Obviously, expecting because the first half we had a few few opportunities where you know we were leading into that final third, but never really got that shot off that caused any trouble for Nadal in the Albacete goal. And I think also something that, like Ben mentioned earlier, something more shots are needed. I think at this level, I saw Joaquim Munoz looking for the perfect opening a few too many times. Where I think if you just get a shot off, it usually works. And especially in this case, obviously, it was a nice finish from Jairo Sampero. And I would have been disappointed if he didn't finish it. But yeah, no, I was I was happy with the start. It was a shame we just couldn't keep it at one 0 Yeah, and Chris, what, what, are you happy for Hyro to get off the mark? Yeah, <laughs> I, I doubt him as a player. Uh, you you can see he played. You uh, he can play football, but uh, he's missing his form. Uh, he's not fit. But I uh, I'm happy he scored a goal. Yeah, and I, I don't know what your thoughts are on Hyro Ben, because we've had a few chats about him on here and generally being pretty negative, I think, but I don't know how you yeah. perceive him. I really, I really agree with Chris, to be honest. I think, I think he is just a player out of form. I mean, if you look at his like, CV, he's played for 
Hamburg, uh, Mines, both in the Bundesliga. I think, I think it's clear he has ability, but he might just be lacking that bit of confidence to improve his game. Yeah, because I seem to remember, I, I, I can't remember what game it was now, but it was when Calero scored that goal and he sort of flicked him in and it was like a lovely passing move. And I thought, wow, that's it. That's the player I want to see every yeah. week. And I still don't think we quite have yet. Um, but as Alex alluded to, the lead did not last very long, about two or three minutes, and Albacete got a penalty. So I'll just go to each of you. Uh, Alex, I'll start with you then. Um, penalty or not for you? It's debatable. I think, obviously, there is reason to give a penalty. Whether it's a stonewall penalty, I'm not sure. I think Escassi, obviously, was sort of heading towards, you know, he was heading in the other direction. It felt like the striker kind of tripped on his feet. So whether there was intention there, it's difficult to say. But I think there was a reason to give the penalty, so you can't complain too much. Chris, do you agree? I uh, I'm not sure it was a penalty. Um, what I do know is that I I I will never say that um, VAR or La Liga hates Malaga and therefore uh, tries tries to screw us. Um, I I don't believe in conspiracy theories um, of that sort. But what I do believe is that something is going wrong this season uh, over the last seven, eight games for Malaga or something, or the whole season. Okay. I, I don't really understand VAR and, and the use of it when... Well, and this, this brings us in quite nicely then, because I, I personally, I think, I agree what Alex said. I think it probably just about was a penalty. And Ben, maybe you can give your opinion in a second. But um, you, I think it was you tweeted out on our at Pod Twitter, a amazing statistic regarding... Malaga and penalties or lack of. Yeah, so we haven't uh, conceded, we haven't received the penalty in like thirty games. Um, so I think it was match day thirty-two of last season. We got our last penalty mm-hmm. in a three-one defeat to Huesca. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the longest streak in the league um, of not having a penalty. Um, I think it's amazing stuff when you think about those the two claims we had in the game. Uh, the pull on Orlando Saar and when Jack and Munoz went down. I mean, the Munoz one, it's one of those where he definitely does touch the player and it's similar to the one that got given against us. He's touched him, but it's not enough for him to go down. But in today's day and age, it gets given as a penalty. Yeah, and and weirdly, the thing, because I hadn't really picked up on this fact until you tweeted it, and I was like, oh yeah, but then... Last year, I remember we had quite a lot of penalties and we didn't miss a single one last year, actually. And we sort of swapped between Adrian and Sadiku. Um, so it does make you think, you know, one or two of those penalties. And and like I said, it contributed, last season it contributed to 10 points um, in the season. So then 10 points would make a huge difference right now. I'll put us up there with like, Mallorca, Amria and Espanyol. Yeah. And I'd be actually... Here's another question for all of you then. Who would our penalty taker be? Chavaria, I guess. But yeah. I guess if he's fit, you've got to give it to Chavaria. Yeah. If not, I'd probably... Not Kaya Quintana. Please. No, not Kaya Quintana. No. Yeah, I think you have to... <laughs> Do you know Maybe what? Escassi. Esca- Escassi. Also, I think Juan De could hit one. Left foot. Yeah. I like a, I like Juan, a left. Juan De's a lethal goal scorer. Yeah. <laughs> 
He's I know it's not much to go off, but on um, I believe it's on Football Manager the stats that they get from I think it's Opera or something like that. The um, the best free kick taker in our team is David Lombard, so I'm not sure if he can convert well, that into penalties. So. But he does. Um, he did take quite a few free kicks last year, David Lombard, um, and a couple of them were quite close actually. He never scored one, but. Um, yeah, actually, what's, his, what's his technique like? Does he just hit it, or I think no, I think he was a bit of a you know a curler more than anything, if I remember really? rightly. Yeah, because you would, I, I get you, I get your point. You wouldn't think he is, but I'm sure I've seen him, you know, Beckham esque. Remember, <laughs> remember Alex who used to play called Alex who used to play for Chelsea. I do indeed. Yes. Yeah, that's what I think it would be like. Yeah, that's he what he played I, for PSV, Alex. He did, yes, yeah. and then went to Chelsea. Um, Anyway. But do you all agree that, that VAR, and it's not only by, by giving Malaga penalties or not, it's it's penalties we got uh, against us. It's red yeah. cards, the red card of Janis Romani, yeah. which is strange. But once given, La Liga gives him like two or three games. Yeah, and I think, yeah. think Palace has said in a press conference today or yesterday where... Um, I only skimmed through it, but the idea that, you know, people say, don't they, the cliche is, or they even themselves out over the season, but he was sort of saying it's not being very even at the moment towards Malaga. Yeah, um, that, that's what I was wanting to say as well. You yeah. know, normally uh, you get one, um, you lose some. Yeah. But now it's like everything is against us. I don't know. That, that's what it seems like. But I'm no? I'm a Malaga fan, so yeah. I did I did like the bit, Chris, when you said I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I thought yeah. I did think in my head. But you are Spanish, so you're going to say "but" in a second because <laughs> 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 I've never met I people know. who love conspiracy theories more than the Spanish. That's a that's that's probably a lazy stereotype. But yeah, that was um, I was laughing to myself. Um, so uh, just quickly then. So yeah, I think um, Ben mentioned then the. Uh, Joaquin Munoz could have had a penalty when he did that little sort of, I suppose like a little pirouette in the box and yeah. could have got it. But um, Malaga did push towards the end and uh, we, we've just mentioned him. Juan Day came back on. That, that that was obviously good to see. Yes. And... Yeah, I think I'm glad to see. I think definitely he needs to be, when he's fully fit, he definitely needs to be one of our starting centre-backs because he's got that youth and Maybe that, I'm not saying he's the quickest player on the planet, but he's definitely got that added pace to what Escassi and Lombard don't have. And with some of the pace of the players in this league, it's something that we definitely need in order to not get caught on the break too many times. And mm. I think also just in general, I think some of the mistakes that the two centre-backs made were something that, you know, hopefully we can try and avoid if we if we keep keep refreshing the, the team and keep each player match fit. Yeah. I think you need that partnership in a in a centre back in centre back. So you need one sort of young, one older, maybe. Yeah. I think that's what we're missing, maybe. Yeah, and I, like I think Alex just said, he'd be for me. He'd be one of the first names on the team sheet if he's fully fit. Um, I think he's great, and 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 he almost scored Chris at the end. Yeah, and he likes doing that. <laughs> <laughs> he, he he seems to. Yeah. Wouldn't he be a good striker? Maybe. <laughs> Perhaps he can play up front with Soriano. That can be our new story. Yeah, well, then he wouldn't give away penalties as well. We'd hope so. But that's what. Um, I well, mean, he did. Let, let's don't forget that he did some he, strange things this season did. already. Yeah, he did. Um, but actually, that's 
I'm trying to think of a good ex- actually Barcelona are a good example of this where and they still do it I think actually where they throw Gerard Pique up front for the the last ten minutes if they need to get a goal and he's yeah. he's he, I think Juan Day can definitely do that as a sort of just chuck him up there because he's obviously he's he's not huge but he's got he's got a bit of presence about him but he you know he's a tidy footballer as well and I, I yeah he is. I think, um, yeah, I'm up for that. Juan de up front with Juan Soriano is is what I want to see before the... Ten minutes to go, Juan <laughs> um, bring Juan Soriano. Yeah. So, um, um, so just, be- um, just before we go into Chumbo and Biznaga, then um, just, um, I'll start with you, Chris. How did you feel? What's your overall thought about this Malaga performance? Well, that's a good question because um, our listener, um, Ignacio from Hawaii, Hello, Ignacio. Um, um, said that we should talk about if Malaga, if we are expecting too much about Malaga, from Malaga, from the players. Um, I don't think I, I, I would us personally, um, or just the fans in general. No, I think it's just a football yeah. fan thing to, yeah. to sort of wish. I mean, we started well, and we were in the playoffs, maybe pushing for that sixth spot, and I think we've adjusted our expectations after yeah. last season maybe too quickly so I think you know maybe it's just a football fan thing looking and hoping for the best yeah what I, he said is, I, I will quote him are we hoping or wishing too much for such a young and inexperienced squad can we play like this can we play like this every weekend so little room for error when it comes to subs and illogible players mm-hmm. well I suppose we we're not playing like this every week and that's why we're um, mid-table because we can be good and I think certainly since this podcast this season I, I don't think any I know I've made jokes about oh playoff party and things like that um, but I think we've always sort of said oh that's you know that's the ultimate high hope and you know we've talked about it that it's quite unrealistic but I I, I think you know we've shown enough this season where I think any point away from home we should welcome, but also, I think we're a better team than Albacete, and we should be beating them. But still, I believe uh, we should be plus ten by all the points, by all the screw ups VAR and the yeah. refs make yeah. this season. Definitely, um, because uh, the match where Romani got red, if he didn't get that red card, it would be a, definitely would be a win because we were playing so good it was against um, I can't remember but it was a recent game <laughs> I can't remember Logan, yes Logan, yes. Yes. yes it was Logan, well, yes. thank you um, this this week um, I think last match before we played before the winter break can't remember Stop! Stop we quizzing me! Stop quizzing me like this, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think also I'd take those ten points last season over this season because if we didn't have those ten points, we would have finished well in the relegation zone last true. year. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, this season, I feel like we're a bit more comfortable for mid table, whereas last season we definitely needed that luck. Yeah, because um, for all his running around last season, uh, for Sadiku to score, we we usually have to rely on a penalty. Whereas yeah. Chavaria, I feel, can score different types of goals. So, um, still, yeah. I I think Malaga, the players are doing a fantastic job. And mm. if you would 
told me in August that or in, in, in June or July that we would be uh, in this position and we were doing so good, I wouldn't believe you. I would probably said you were mad. Yeah, and giving lots of minutes to players from the Cantera and yeah, I think there's I, I don't think we're expecting too much. I think we're we're appreciating their efforts and I think they've shown they were good I think Malaga are a good team at the moment. That's I wouldn't go using more powerful superlatives than that. But like I think they're a good team and I'd say yeah, I'd, I'd maybe we could be a couple of places higher but last season there's, I, I, there's, Go on, Chris. He, uh, last season, I noticed a lot of uh, critiques from the Spanish fans and the uh, and the locals in Malaga uh, about the football. But this this season, everybody seems happy and everybody yeah. thinks Malaga is playing like really good football. I think we're playing decent football, but I think the, they, they, you know, I don't think it's through lack of trying, is it? If, if we have a bad game, you can't. Generally, it's not because a player's been lazy and, and, you know, it's because they're all local players as well. So there's that bit of connection as well, I suppose. I think there's a real, like, collective identity as well, like, in the squad and that makes it, it makes it nice to watch. I mean, yeah. like, like you said, with the table, I think up to ninth place, we're on 27 points now. So we are, we are, not, we are only, like, three places off the bat pretty much. Yeah. Right, let's get our chumbos and biznagas out to them. So, um, as always, we'll do chumbo first. Uh, Alex, who have you got as chumbo? Uh, I've gone for Escassi. I think the, there was a few mistakes, especially when, I believe, the ball came off his shin and the Albacete striker, I don't remember his name, almost got to the ball, but Danny Barrio shepherded it out, I think. Yeah. He made a few too many mistakes and, you know, Obviously, the penalty, you can't fault him too much for that. But I think there was a few instances where he didn't look too sure about what he was doing. So, yeah, my chumbo was Escassi. OK, I think you've summed it up quite nicely because I've, I've picked Escassi too for very similar reasons. Uh, ben, do you have anyone different? or? Uh, my one was actually between Escassi and Christian. Uh, okay. but I probably would go Escassi. I think, like Alex said, I think there was a couple of times he got lucky as well, like, uh, I think one time he had it, uh, Alfredo or Trino for upset and got called handball, but it was actually his hand it touched. Yeah. Um, and there was a couple of times, like loose pass. I think Lomban as well was maybe lucky not to get it. He had a couple of passes that uh, were a bit astray. Okay, and then Chris, Jumbo? I'm going for Kaya Quintana because okay. I believe that as a striker you should be judged on the goals you make. Well, not, not only, but I, I just, the effort... Of his shots is just too weak. It's there's no plan in it. He just shoots right for the keeper. I don't know. Okay, no, I think they. Uh, I think mentioning Christian and Kaya Quintana as possible candidates is fair there as well. Um, and then let's go Biznaga. Then uh, Alex again. We'll start with you. I think it was difficult this one actually. I think it was either between Ramon and Danny Barrio, but I think I'm going to go with Danny Barrio. I think okay. didn't have to do much, but what he did. He did well, and he, he arguably probably kept us with the point. I think without him, without his fantastic saves towards the end, we probably would have lost. Yeah, I've got Danny Barrio too. Uh, ben? Uh, I'm actually going to go with Luis Munoz. I feel, I feel like he doesn't get mentioned a lot um, yeah. on this podcast, but uh, I, th- I think he had a really solid game. I think we dominated possession in, in a lot of the game, and I think he had a pass accuracy of like 75%, had the most passes in the game. I think we were really solid in midfield. 
Yeah, it's funny you say that he doesn't get mentioned a lot because I think we do give him quite a bit of love, but it's usually at this bit where we've talked about the whole game and because he doesn't do too much wrong, but yeah. he's not like flashy. It's only when we get to the end we go, oh, and actually, Luis Munoz was really good. That seems to be how we usually yeah. mention him. Uh, and then Chris to finish off our biznagas. Um, I will go for Danny Barrio, but it's what you said. He plays like in the wrong position, um, uh, Luis Munoz. That's like the worst position a player can play because yeah. you never get mentioned. Only when you're doing it wrong. Yeah, but gonna... never, but never when you're doing it good. Yeah, I think because Ramon still, Ramon steals a lot of the lot, the lot, lot from him as well. Yeah. because he's so good. Yeah, yeah, and then when someone like. Ben Camasso plays, we go, oh, actually, Luis Munoz is really good because he doesn't <laughs> play like Ben Camasso. Um, right, okay then. So that was a point away from home at Albacete, but we have two home games coming up this week. So let's go and talk about those two games next. <laughs> This week, Malaga take on Real Oviedo, not once, but twice. We played them in the league on Saturday evening at La Rosaleda, but first we played them in the cup, also at La Rosaleda, tonight. Today is Three Kings Day, so it's only appropriate we are joined by Spanish football royalty. You may know his voice from the Guardian Football Weekly and the Spanish Football Podcast, and you may have read his wonderful words in The Guardian, ESPN, or even his book, Fear and Loathing in La Liga. We are delighted to be joined by Sid Lowe. Sid Lowe, Happy New Year to you. And to you. And to you. Let's hope it's a little bit better than last year, right? Yeah. Um, so we'll go straight into it, Sid. Obviously, you know, you're on a Malaga podcast and we usually get in fans of the opposition. And we've got you in as our fan of Real Oviedo. So I suppose we'll start there. Why Real Oviedo, Sid? In, in truth, it's, uh, it, it doesn't have a, per, a particularly romantic story. It's just kind of an accident of location. So when I did the third year of my degree, because I was doing history and Spanish, so of course you, you have to go abroad for the, for the third year. Um, Oviedo was the, was the city in, in which I lived for, for a year between, between, what was it, back end of September 96 through to June of 97. And I've just revealed how old I am, which is very <laughs> stupid. Um, <laughs> And, and to, to be honest, it, it needn't have been Oviedo. Um, there were there are a number of options. I, I remember thinking that in some strange way that somehow by being in the north of Spain, I was kind of closer to home, which is just a, a ludicrous way of thinking about it. And not least, of course, because at the time there were barely any flights to Asturias. I think there were like two flights a, a week to, to Asturias. And you go to um, Asturias Airport and they would, they would announce... Uh, the next plane is departing from gate one as if there was a gate two, three or four because it was that tiny. Um, but it was, it was really just, just coincidental. So it was in Oviedo. I remember arriving in the city from Bilbao, because as I say, because there weren't many flights and we were on a bus driving from Bilbao. We, me and a friend called Chris had, had flown into Bilbao and we're going from Bilbao to, to Oviedo by bus. And we we're on the bus listening to the radio as, as Oviedo were playing against Barcelona. And curiously enough, it's actually the game when Pep Guardiola first met Juan Melillo, who's now his assistant coach at Manchester City, because Juan was, was the manager of, of uh, Oviedo at the time, and Pep was playing in midfield for Barcelona. 
And genuinely, at the end of the game, Guardiola knocked on the Oviedo dressing room door and said, I like the way your team plays football. Can we have a chat? Um, and I bring that up, if only because Pep Guardiola liked the way they played football. But for most of the year, I didn't. Um, they weren't <laughs> particularly good. But we arrived, so we arrived in Oviedo having missed the Barcelona game. And, and to be perfectly honest, as, as a, a couple of British guys arriving in Oviedo, we think, well, well that's, you know, that's a real downer. You know, of, of all the games you want to see, it's, it's Barcelona and Real Madrid. Uh, it turns out we've missed Barcelona. And then it turns out we'd also missed Madrid. Uh, the, fir- the three first home games uh, that, that Oviedo played that season, all of which we missed, were Madrid, Barcelona and Athletic Club. And so, you know, you couldn't have started worse. We say, well, we won't bother with a season ticket then, will we? Uh, but it turned out that although we didn't bother with a season ticket, we went to every game over the course of the season at home, went to a handful of games away from home. Not many, admittedly, but we went, we saw them away at, at Sporting, away at uh, Real Sociedad, away in Madrid against Real Madrid. I uh, I think we might have gone down to Valladolid, if I remember rightly. And I think Chris went and saw them play in Seville, actually, which which I didn't. Um, but anyway, we spent the year watching Oviedo play and becoming kind of hooked by Oviedo, who at the time, I should probably point out, were a first division team. Uh, a first division team that was struggling to survive in, in, in the top division, but one that was a first division team. Um, and then, of course, they went down in, in 2001. But it all starts... With, with that season in, in well there you go it's supposed to be it's an academic year but that season because let's face it that's what it really is that season in northern Spain yeah and um, um, Chris is usually one that likes to judge these second division Spanish football clubs and he's offended <laughs> the people of Lugo and the people of Alcocon Chris are you going to tell Dr Sidlow that Real Oviedo are not a big club or surely you've got to agree these are a proper proper club well, um, first of all, Sidlo is the king of Spanish football without even playing it. Um, so uh, that's the first thing. He probably saw every every uh, football pitch in whole Spain uh, with his uh, Pogmobile. Yeah, um, pretty much. So the, the fact he's a supporter of uh, Real Oviedo means something. Um, and to be honest, I think... I see Real Oviedo as a really historical club in, club in Spain, a uh, big history. Uh, for me, they are more a Primera team than a Segunda team. Um, and I compare them with Malaga, actually, because um, they're quite similar. They bo- they're, both of their stadiums hold, I think, somewhere around 30,000 uh, seats. Um, well, I think they're from the 1920-something. And Malaga's from 1904, so that that's equally almost the same. A few years less or more, we don't count them in. Um, they have changed their name in 1992, I believe. Okay, well, that's good knowledge. Like, like like a lot of clubs, they, yeah. they became a sort of anonyma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, well, we did in 1994. So I think, <laughs> and 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 the fun and the last fact I have is that. Um, the best spot in Primera División of uh, Real Oviedo is in is the third place, somewhere in the 60s. And Malaga also, their top place in Primera División is the third place. So we're actually quite similar to each other. And um, yeah, I and think they're, we are both historical uh, teams in Spain. Yeah, and also, um, I'm this sure... This is the right answer, yeah. Good answer. You've, you didn't cut off the line, Chris. Well done. Um, and also, 
we we've gone through in recent years financial struggles and so have Real Oviedo in the past decade. So my next question was going to be, Sid, um, I think back in 2012, this um, this well amazing idea to try and save Real Oviedo. I think were they fourth tier then or third tier? They were. They were Segunda B at the time. So I, I mean, this is well actually in a way you posed a question which 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 might bore your listeners to tears. But th- there is that question which I always have, which is what are we calling Segunda B? Because it's anywhere from the yeah. third tier to the seventh tier. And this season, of course, it's even bigger than that because there's 102 teams in it. So it's anywhere from the third tier to the eighth or the ninth tier in Spanish <laughs> yeah. football. But put it this way, the Spaniards, uh, as a general rule, tend to refer to it as non-professional football because they tend to refer to professional football as just being the first and second division. Now, of course, that's not true. It is professional football. Uh, but yeah, they were they were somewhere between third and seventh tier. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because I was in um, a bar here in Marbella the other day and someone asked me, because Marbella in Segunda B, um, mm. what do Marbella have to do to get promoted? And I said, no, <laughs> we're, not having, <laughs> we're not having this conversation. It's just too complicated and the diagrams and um, so... so I mean, it's, it is ludicrously complicated. I suppose one way of simplifying it is to say that in the second division B this year, at least, and, and in previous years, it's been slightly less daunting than this, but not very much less daunting than this, is to say that there's 102 teams there and only four will go up. Yeah. And none of That's them will crazy. Go up They would all have to go through a playoff system of some sort. Mm. In fact, quite a long-winded playoff system. So as you say, you look at it, you basically think, look, let's not even worry about this until the summer. And then and then they kind of narrow it down at the point at which we've reached those those phases of the of the competition. Yeah. Um the reason I mention it is because uh it was twenty twelve, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> See, was, yeah. yeah. Um there was a plea made out by yourself. Uh, Juan Mata, like people like Sandy Cazola, uh, Michu, who I'd like to talk a bit more about shortly, to buy shares in Real Oviedo. And if I remember rightly, it was roughly around £10, 10 euros, mm, and, right. and buy a share and, you know, you get a stake in the club. Um, and I'd sort of forgotten a little bit about it until I was in Oviedo this time last year, and I went to watch Oviedo play Malaga. And I was, you know, queuing to get in the away end, and I thought, actually... Do I still have shares in this club? Can I still get in the, the VIP section? But obviously, I, I wouldn't have wanted to do that. But my question is, since that share scheme, how is the sort of financial stability of Real Oviedo? Well, what, what happened with the, with the share um, idea, uh, which was basically a last and very desperate throw of the dice, um, was that two, two things happened, obviously, in parallel and interconnected as well which was that there was, if you like, a kind of a popular reaction of, of thousands of people all over, all over the world buying shares to try and um, reach a point at which Oviedo's short-term survival was secure and maybe even medium-term survival was secure. I think the two targets were two point, no, 1.9 million and something like 3.8 million. Those were the two kind of immediate targets for short or medium-term survival. The long-term survival then came with the, with, with the as I say, the related process of looking for a what would you call it, kind of a majority shareholder, looking for a guy who would essentially buy sufficient shares to effectively be the owner. Because, of course, we can't escape a reality of modern football, which is, with the exception of Osasuna Athletic, Real Madrid and Barcelona, clubs are privately owned, albeit the share structures can be different. And at the end of this process, which was a two-week um, share issue process, Carlos Slim, who I believe at the time was the richest man in the world, I don't know yeah, if he but... still is, um, he he bought the equivalent of two and a half million euros worth of shares, which gave 
Bradley obviously not just the cash injection that it needed, but also gave Bradley effectively an owner who would take an interest. At least that was the hope. What's happened over the years since then is that, that Carlos Slim's company, Caso, which is actually largely run by his son-in-law, Arturo Elias, has taken an active role in effectively owning and running Raul Oviedo, albeit from a distance from Mexico, um, and, and has pumped in more money to uh, various key points to keep the club afloat. So, the, so the, the process obviously has been longer than just the share issue itself. And, but the short answer to your question is that Oviedo now have financial stability. We haven't had a huge amount of sporting success, that's true. <laughs> And there are some difficulties, I think, that have been um, not necessarily caused, but perhaps exacerbated or brought to the surface by that whole process, uh, by the nature of, uh, of, of the ownership model and so on. Um, but fundamentally, I think Oviedo fans, um, and obviously I would include myself in this, I think we all feel enormously, uh, I suppose, relieved and grateful to be in a position where where there is a stability that in 2012, I mean, case of looking for stability, it's a case of looking for survival. As I say, even with the successful process of, of the share issue and small shareholders from, from all over the world responding, um, and in particular, of course, from, from within Asturias, because it was largely the original of the fans who responded, albeit it had an international dimension, even that may not have been enough in the medium term. But as it turns out, the club is now in, in, in financial and, 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 um, and structural terms really quite, really quite stable now. That's good to hear. And obviously, I quite like Oviedo because, as I said, I was convinced to put money into one of these sort of this share scheme. And, you know, I'm a big fan of you, Sid. But, you know, the main guy that persuaded me was Michu because obviously in 2012, he was leading Swansea to well, just glory. It was probably the best season I had following Swansea. So, uh, you know, as a, as a Patreon to the Spanish football podcast, I feel like I should be able to get a direct question to you. So I'm going to seize the moment here. And it's not even a question. It's just going to be meet you, discuss. <laughs> uh, Mitch is a legend. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, just, just very briefly to, to kind of link it into that whole share issue process into 2012. One of the reasons, of course, why it was so successful internationally was because Oviedo had Cathola, Michu and Mata playing in the Premier League. You know, those all three players who are, who are from Oviedo, who were brought up in the youth system at the club, um, who actually, Mitch is the only one of the three who'd actually played for the first team mm-hmm. in Oviedo because both Matter and Cathola left, I think, at the age of, of 15 when they had their first massive financial crisis, which was 2003. Um, and, and that gave them an international dimension. Because at the time, I mean, you know, tell me what you think about this, but at the time, I think you could genuinely have made the claim for saying that Oviedo was the most successful youth system in the Premier League. Yeah, uh, to have three players of that level from one youth system, uh, you were probably talking about what three of the best ten players in England at the time. Uh, 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 roughly, yeah, I, mean, I, I might, I might be slightly pushing it, but I think that wouldn't be that far off. <laughs> and, and anyway, in terms of Mitchu, I mean, obviously, you know, you're hopefully as biased as I am on this, but but he's just he's he, you know, he's someone I'm enormously fond of, uh, who I think was, as you say, absolutely brilliant for Swansea. Um, at a time when, you will know this far better than me, that it does still, even now, feel like probably the best era Swansea have ever had. I was at the game at Valencia where they played just extraordinarily well. Yeah. And, and and that, even now, I still feel, and I say this obviously as someone who's not claiming to be a Swansea fan, um, but, but took an interest in Swansea because of Michu, but, but I, I still feel kind of 
really privileged to have been at that game and to have reported on him, to have been able to write a match report of a moment that, that was clearly genuinely significant. You know, it wasn't just, you know, football team plays well in football match. It was, it was much, much more than that. I think it was the, if you like, the kind of a, the embodiment of everything that they'd achieved. And, and Mitchell, of course, was at the heart of that. And, and the disappointing thing was that it was quite short in Swansea, that by the end, you know, he, he'd had problems with his ankle, which mean that even now he's he's struggling. He had to you know, bring his career to a premature end, even though it may not seem like it from a Swansea point of view, because, of course, he went to Napoli, he came back to Spain, he played for Langreau, he even played for Oviedo for, for a season before finally giving up. But he was, you know, he was hobbling his way through that entire period. And, and, and I think he was a, a brilliant player. And I think it was lovely to see because I think he was an unknown player. So there was a real sense, I think, of revelation about him um, when he when he went to play in English Premier League when he was playing in, in Wales. And and you just, you know, you look at that and, and it's it's something that I think makes you feel kind of proud of him from an Oviedo point of view, at least. I remember a game that um, Oviedo were playing away at, and I can't even remember who it was now, uh, away at a really tiny little ground. And it was the day that Mitru finally got in the Spain squad, which, by the way, came too late. And curiously enough, he got in the Spain squad at a time when perhaps his claim on a Spain place was much less than it had been a year and a half earlier. And at that game, the Oviedo fans started chanting his name because there was a real sense that, you know, this is one of our guys has, has, has made it to the Spain team. Someone who always talks about Oviedo, someone who always, um, who always kind of has a... What, what do you call it? Like a, a sense that this is his identification, you know, that, that he, he makes Oviedo part of everything he is. And then obviously, look, from a, from a personal point of view, and, and, and I, I realise this is entirely irrelevant for, for, for Swansea fans, and it's probably irrelevant for most of, your, <laughs> uh, most of your listeners, but from a personal point of view, obviously with time, I've come to know him quite well. But in particular, the way that he has treated my son who's obviously a, a, a very small Oviedo fan, a very big Oviedo fan, but a very small boy, it's, it's more, more to the point, uh, has been just just lovely. Um, and so, so yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very difficult for me to, to, to fully express just, just how fond I am of, of him. Like, I'd love to hijack this podcast and turn it into a meeting no, no, podcast. Too, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna have to turn it back around and head back south to the Costa del Sol. And obviously, Sid, the, the work you do, and as Chris alluded to earlier, you, you get absolutely everywhere in Spain, every single corner. So I, I know you can't, you know, know the ins and outs of every single club in the country, maybe. But what is your perception of Malaga at the moment as a Spanish football journalist? Well, the perception of Malaga right now, and obviously there's a, there's a whole big context behind it, which you lot and most of your listeners will, will understand far better than, than, than I could ever claim to. But my perception of them now is... Just, I, I think more than anything else, I would say a, a sense of being really pleased and relieved and maybe even satisfied at how well it's going. Um, because obviously in the situation, and, and of course there is a lot to be worked out both legally and, and, and financially, but in the situation in which Malaga found themselves in, at a point in which essentially all of the players were not just up for sale, but, but, but confronted by the possibility of basically being put out of a job, because the financial situation was so bad that it was almost a sense of starting again, uh, judicial administration at the club, the, the sense that this could end really, really badly. And to have seen them find a way to construct a team that can compete, you know, a team that doesn't automatically come last and get relegated, a team that, that I think helps to 
And obviously, this is very difficult to judge because there are no fans in the ground at the moment. But I think a team that maybe can help to reconnect to fans that can feel like much more like normal people. And, and look, I say this from an Oviedo point of view as well, with a, with a certain degree of parallels. And Oviedo went down to Seville Neve, that that whole process, I think, brought a connection with supporters and an identification which was perhaps more powerful than it had previously been. And I wonder if with time that will happen with Malaga. But you create a, you sort of normalise footballers, I think, in, in a way, when you go through a process like that. You humanise them, which, which I think we often forget that they are human, even the ones that behave in the worst possible way are human. And so I think from seen from the outside and, and seen from you know people I was speaking to in the summer, some people who work at the club in various capacities, and, and you know their own fears, you know, for their own livelihoods. People, people at the club who are going to lose jobs in in communications departments, in in, in commercial departments, in in marketing, and obviously for obvious reasons, being a journalist, those are departments that. That, that I know people in or have known people in over the years, um, also some on, on, on kind of boardroom level. But the, I, I think it's that, it's that sense that it's really pleasing to know that, that there is some hope, you know, and that there is a, there is a way through this and, and that, that a solution, at least in the short term, has been found. Now, look, I'm not going to call it a solution because there is so much to be worked through because a club like Malaga, like a club like Oviedo, should be at the top end of the second division and competing for promotion for the first division. And I suspect that neither of them will do that this year. Uh, I'd love to be wrong, by the way, but I suspect that neither of them will do that this year. But I, th- I, think, I think given the place we were in at the back end of last season, particularly off the back of the, the, the pandemic, which of course made an already disastrous situation even worse, I, I, I think it's um, it, there's room for a, an enormous amount of optimism. I'll turn it to you guys then. Um, I think that's a pretty accurate... Analysis of Malaga, what do you think, um, fellow Giri Casters? I think that's, that's a fair assumption. I think, yeah, I agree. We're definitely both clubs should be looking to get to that promotion chase and hopefully with time to come and, you know, building a squad. Uh, obviously, they follow Oviedo too closely. So I don't know what the situation is with the players. Obviously, I know they've got an ex-Malaga player, Blanco Lestruk. So, yeah, they're both teams probably looking to that higher end of the table. But I think it's... It's a positive situation. It's the sort of the the descent has stopped, and now it's looking upwards. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I think, like like Sid said, um, it's sort of a moment to be sort of proud of this Malaga team. I think I think they are very relatable. Uh, the players seem to be one unit, and they seem to be really putting in a hundred percent every game. Yeah, we've spoke on this podcast quite a lot, Sid, about the the influence of Manolo Gaspar as club um, as sporting director. And um, when things were looking particularly bleak in the summer, he did seem to have a plan. And the plan yes. was, we've got a good cantera, so we, we have good players coming through there. And then by experienced Segunda players, but generally ones that are from the Malaga area, or at least Andalusia. So they've sort of merged together to like you said, create a competent team and almost like a a building block, uh, which I suppose brings us to this game, well, these two games. Um, We won't talk about, you know, the cup game maybe so much now because it's very close to happening. But in these two games, Sid, you know, what what can we expect from Oviedo? Like any sort of danger men or what can we expect from them? Uh, I wish I knew the answer to that, um, because one, one of the things that's, uh, that's become very clear this year is that Oviedo have, have swung from performances that are really quite good to, to some which really aren't, 
Um, I think there is the beginnings of uh, an identity there. You look at Oviedo's results last season, and they actually finished the season really very strongly, although there were one or two, even in that good run, there were one or two really awful results that sort of came out of nowhere, but they finished the season really very strongly. You look at the players they've got in an attack, and, and, and in, in theory, at least, this is a team that should be probably slightly more creative than it really is. You know, you, you look at a team that's that's just bought back for Javier, by the way, from 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 well, I was going to say from Deportivo, but of course he's been he's been out of the country as well. Uh, that has Sangali, that has Borja, who I think is the outstanding player in this side, a footballer who's who's genuinely quite special. The, my my worry there, of course, naturally, is that if he's that good, he may not be around for very much longer. I, I really hope I'm wrong. Um, you've got obviously in the forward line. You, you've already mentioned Blanco. You, you've got you've got Rodri as well, and, and it just it does feel like this is a team. Possibly, um, Samuel or Ben as well. It feels like a team that possibly should be better than it is, and um, that has those kind of up and down moments. But but all the way through the team, there are there are good players in this Oviedo side, and, and it just feels like that little bit of continuity isn't there. That that, that that little bit of perhaps fluidity isn't there, which maybe will come with with time. But as I say, in, you know, in, in response to a question, I mean, that in a way is the kind of the the crux of the issue with Oviedo is you. You don't know for sure what you're going to see from them, and and, and certainly, certainly away. I, I I have an attitude now, but I guess this is not so much about the team now. It's just about everything that's happened since '96, '97. I have an attitude now, which is never really to hope anything. Well, I suppose, Sid, your last game is the perfect encapsulation of that. Where yes, you go two 0 down to Mallorca, and Mallorca, I think, had conceded about seven goals all season, and then so you think you're two 0 down to this. You know, team that's going to try and go up automatically and then score two goals and could have won it from what I saw and read. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a draw. It's a draw to feel very, very pleased with, particularly as you say against a team defensively as strong as, as Mallorca are, a team that, that probably the best in the division with Espanyol. I would say in terms of the the, the, the quality of the squad they've got and, and how they've been playing so far this season. Although the second division we've all seen a million times over the last 10, 15, 20 years is so erratic, it's so difficult to call because they're, they're, it's very rare that there is a team that's, that's genuinely outstanding, that's genuinely a long way better than the rest. And that team normally goes up while everybody else fights for all the other positions. Um, but Barbieta's response is really good. And also, the, I mean, the other thing, I, I don't know whether this is a, a reason to... Think Oviedo's performance was even better, or a reason to think that maybe it wasn't that good and it was conditioned by the conditions. But the game against Bjork was a game that was played on a proper 1980s mud bath. I mean, it was uh, it was it was a real mess. And, and in that sense, it's pretty good news that both these games have been played in Malaga and not in Asturias. That's true. Yeah, um, we'll start trying to wrap things up in a second, Sid. Um, but I'll just go to two of the others because I know they had questions for you. But I'll go to Alex first because. Alex is also a fellow patron of the Spanish Football Podcast, okay. so I'll give him the opportunity to ask what I think he said to me yesterday was more of a, a general Spanish football question, so I'll, get, I'll pass it to him. I mean, yeah, so it can work both ways, but I'm going to focus on the Spanish football aspect. Obviously, we talked about certain complications, what would Segunda be, and certain clubs facing financial difficulties, so... Is there anything, obviously most of us know English football, is there anything you think Spanish football can take from English football and implement that in Spain to improve the game here in Spain? Well, I mean, look, for a long time, the obvious answer to that would, would have been focused. I mean, certainly from a from a top-flight 
perspective, maybe less so from the second division, which of course is what concerns us perhaps more than more than the first division does. But but seen from a kind of a structural first division perspective, for a long time the answer to that question would have been um, a greater equality of TV rights money uh, because the gaps in the first division were absolutely gigantic from Madrid and Barcelona to the teams that were at the bottom of that table. But in fairness to La Liga, this is something they've worked really quite hard on over the last seven or eight years. They've, they've tried very, very hard to enforce or, or, or uh, kind of express the idea that Spanish football is not just Madrid and Barcelona. Obviously, that's been helped, I think, by the emergence of Atletico Madrid as genuine contenders. But even that only goes so far. because You can say, well, all right, well, it's not Madrid and Barcelona, but it's still only three teams. They have, I think, in terms of, uh, it's not a word I particularly like, but let's use it in terms of the relato, the narrative of Spanish football. They've tried to create this idea that there are other clubs there. They've tried to push those in media terms, although, of course, they are up against a social reality. And there is a social reality in Spain, which is that government figures, I think, show that more than 60% of the country claim to be Madrid or Barcelona fans. And you know, that leaves relatively few for everyone else, even in a country with clubs as big in terms of fan bases as Betis, Atletico Madrid, Athletic Club, and so on. Um, that's one thing they've done. And that went hand in hand with them forcing through a law with the help of uh, Miguel Cardenal, who was the president of the CSD for a while, and effectively the sports minister in Spain, forcing through a law that enshrined in law a new way of distributing TV money, which was more egalitarian. Now, it's still a long way off the equality of the English Premier League. And also, by the way, in terms of the overall pie, it's much smaller anyway, just because it doesn't have that economic muscle. Um, but it's a very definitely a step in the right direction. And the fact that it was enshrined in law tells you how difficult it was to do. They essentially had to make it. I remember having this conversation with Devas and saying to him, but why, why are you doing a law? In, in England, this is just the way it's set up by the Premier League. And of course, at the time, he wouldn't admit why. The reason why was because he had to force Madrid and Barcelona into a corner where in two years' time, they didn't try and break it again, which, of course, they're now trying to do for a European Super League anyway. But obviously, it's a different route. So I guess, you know, the, the, the simple answer, certainly going back, over the last 10 years or, or more would be one thing Spain could really learn from the Premier League is a bigger um, a bigger pie in the first place. Well, that's very difficult to do. And of course, everyone wants to do it and more egalitarian approach. But I actually feel like the Premier League is starting to become atomised a bit as well. It's becoming much more top heavy in the last 10 years. So, so that those two, so that they're kind of coming together a little bit. I suppose the other thing that, that, that always feels slightly different between England and Spain, and it goes back to that question of Madrid and Barcelona, so it's related, is just the, the the strength of all the clubs, you know, in terms of fan base and so on. But of course, that's a really difficult thing to judge, particularly now with the pandemic, as fans aren't in stadiums. I think it's also a very difficult thing to do because it's not a case of this is a decision you make. It's a social, it's a reflection of, of, of societal choices. So, you know, you have a situation where in Spain, and obviously most of your listeners will know this, you've got two newspapers almost entirely dedicated to Barcelona, two that claim to be national sports dailies, but are very much dedicated to, at least a significant chunk of what they do is dedicated to Real Madrid, and, and the focus is biased within that towards those two clubs. But of course you say, well, we've got to stop this, we've got to break this. But how do you break this? Because of course these are businesses. And so they do this because they believe this is their business model, this is a reflection of fan bases in Spain. And the sad truth is they're probably right. So... I don't know if that's something you can do. And in part, this underpins this thing that the La Liga have been doing of trying to tell the stories of other clubs, trying to say, look, let's treat the other clubs like they matter. But at the same time, there's a contradiction at the heart of that because La Liga knows that however much they say, oh, Sevilla are a big club and Betis are a big club and 
you know, Valencia or whoever, which, by the way, they are all big clubs. Or but Malaga. they also know deep down <laughs> that the motor of their business is Madrid and Barcelona. And then um, just to finish up, I, I think I might know what Chris is going to ask you. I don't think this is going to be quite as hard hitting, but I might be wrong. So go on, Chris. Um, yeah, I, I had two questions. I forgot about one. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, how horrible. But l- let me ask you, um, as a father, from a father to a father, <laughs> you have a kid. You are the most, probably the most busy man I have ever seen. How do you manage it all? Because you're a father. That's a full-time job. You have um, the Spanish football podcast, ESPN, um, The Guardian. Uh, you're on Spanish radio. You're now joining us. How does a man does that all? Uh, the short answer is pretty badly. <laughs> I mean, one of the things, this is actually genuinely, I think one of the things that the, the, the pandemic has, has really brought home um, is, is, is the impact that's had, um, as you say, from a, kind of a, from a father's point of view, because um, we went to a lot of games together before. And of course, now, because the gates are shut, I'm still going to games as a journalist accredited. We can't go together. And so that, that kind of, if you like, overlapping of the two roles almost, or that, that sort of sense of, of, of kind of... Um, sharing that experience has been broken really quite badly I think by this um, I don't know uh, you know getting sort of deep and, 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 and sort of psychological or emotionally I don't know whether that has a, a long term impact it probably will but yeah no, of course, absolutely it's, it's problematic because of course the nature of this job unlike many other jobs that you're very busy is that it's focused so heavily on the weekend um, and the truth is I don't know the answer to that I mean in, in, in mechanical and practical terms how you manage it is is um, in truth, is by having another uh, an, uh, another half in in, in in the household. My wife who basically does all the all the stuff that's difficult and then leaves me with the easy bits. <laughs> Brilliant, thank you, um, Sid. Just quickly, I just want to ask one thing because um, uh, I, I remember the other question. Oh, really quick, then, Chris. <laughs> really quick. Um, do you agree with me that the VAR in Spain is probably not working the way it should work? Yes, um, and I mean, we could be here all day talking about VAR, but let me just kind of make one very simple point about VAR, which is I my difficulty with VAR or my dislike of VAR in Spain is nothing to do with the justice or otherwise of it. It's to do with the impact it has on the game itself. And I think that's more problematic in a way than whether or not the decisions are right. And for what it's worth, I think pre-VAR, I don't think we had huge, huge numbers of terrible injustices. I don't think we had as big a problem to solve as we like to think we had. And I'm not sure we've solved the injustice problem, solved the injustice problem. And I think the payoff for the injustice problem, the toll that we pay for it, is that we've damaged the game itself, that the game breaks up too much, that, that nothing penalties are being given. And it doesn't matter that it goes to this team or that team or the other team. What matters for me is that we're having games decided by, by absolutely minuscule misdemeanours, um, that, that games are taking too long, that there's a, some of the... Uh, the, the spontaneity is being taken out of it. So, yeah, my, my problem with VAR is not the justice, it's the damage it's doing to the game itself and to the, the culture of the, the, the way we actually play football or the way we wa- actually watch football. Yeah, early, uh, early, earlier, Sid, we did have a conversation about Malaga seem to be having 
a lot of VAR decisions go against us, but we won't go into conspiracy theory stuff again. I tried to get us away from that. <laughs> um, um, uh, one last question. Are you sometimes done with football? Is there moments where you think, oh, no, I don't want to talk about football anymore today? Oh, yeah, definitely. But I mean, more, I, I wouldn't say much, so much say I don't want to talk about it today as that, for example, if, if there are, if there's a game on and I don't have to cover it, then there will be times I think, you know what, I'm not going to watch it. So, for example, I'll give you the best example, and this isn't, this isn't always good news for me. I very rarely watch the Monday night game in Spain because normally by then I've written my Monday column based on whatever happened the weekend. I've kind of cleared that for another out of the way. You know, that, you know, that week's games have been done. There's a Monday night game. There's a bit of me that thinks, you know what, I can't be arsed with this. And obviously, if it's a really good game, I watch it. And what tends to happen is I tend to try and ignore it and then end up maybe watching the last half an hour or so. Um, but, but yeah, oh, absolutely, of course. Because, I mean, it's like anything. And, and at the risk of sounding like I'm, I'm moaning, because obviously the bottom line is this, is this is, you know, not a bad job at all to be doing. And, and in many ways, it's absolutely wonderful. But, of course, by, by definition, anything that becomes a job becomes an obligation. And so it does lose, by definition, whether you want it to or not, some of the, 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 the joy that, that kind of brought you into it in the, in the first place. Right. Well, thank you, Sid. We do have a thing on our podcast where if Malaga win or they get a draw, we there's a pub in Marbella called The Tavern where we yeah. have a shot of Pacharan. They give it out for free. We don't know why, so we call it Points Mean Pacharan. So hopefully Malaga get a double dose of Pacharan in for us this week. But um, it's been a real pleasure, Sid. Thank you for joining us, especially on Free Kings Day where I know... You have children and you've got to go and watch the end of Titanic, which I won't spoil for you. But thank you very I've much. Feel, I've got a feeling at the end of the day, they, they all sail off into the sunset, don't they? They all survive. They're all absolutely fine. And that, I think that's how it ends. Yeah. <laughs> and Rose yeah, and Jack go I'm off on a... Uh, yeah. yeah. But anyway, thank you, Sid. Enjoy Titanic. Pleasure. Cheerio. So that is it for this week's GiriCast. I hope you've enjoyed listening. A big thanks once again for Sid Lowe, a, you know, an absolute legend of a man. Um, guys, is there anything you want to add before we wrap things up? Yes, we had a great show, but uh, there's also a bit of sad news. The grandmother of Javier Ontiveros died, and uh, we, wish, we want to wish him uh, all the best and all the strength to him and his family. And um, she passed away uh, because of COVID-19. So, um, yeah, it's really sad news. We wish you all the best. Yeah, much love to the Ontiveros family, who, who are from Marbella, actually, as well, aren't they? Um, yeah. Yes. Um, but, yes, we are two games to look forward to in the next week, and then we'll have a review of that next week. And, obviously, we'll look ahead to Pon- the game against Ponferradina. Uh, Alex, anything you would like to add before we go? Not much, just a uh, well Malaga and hopefully we can progress to the next round of the Cup and get three points on the weekend. And there you go, Vamos Malaga indeed. Ben, well done on making your second appearance. Anything you'd like to add? 
nothing really. Happy Free Kings Day, if that's what you say. And uh, Vamos Malaga. There you go. Happy Free Kings Day to you all too. Unless you're listening on the Thursday when it won't be Free Kings Day. But anyway, hope you had <laughs> a good Christmas and you've had a good start to 2021. And hopefully we'll see you. You'll join us again next week where we can celebrate Malaga wins in the Cup and League. Vamos Malaga. Adios. Oh, <laughs>